Race matters. 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 I am Sarah Khan and I'm going to be having a deadly show lined up for you today. But as always, before I kick off our deadly, deadly race matters outline for the day, I'm going to get into an acknowledgement of country. So before we begin, I would always like to acknowledge and pay my respects to the Gadigal peoples on the lands that we are meeting on today. The Gadigal people have been a part of this land and landscape for 80,000 years before us. And race matters is a part of FBI station that sits in the heart of Redfern. And so it's a very special meeting and gathering place for us today and a constant reminder that no matter where you go on this land, no matter how many tall buildings you see and how much bush you see, it always was and always will be Aboriginal land. So I'd like to acknowledge and pay my respects to the Gadigal peoples and their elders, both past, present and any future listeners we have with us on the show today. So like I said, we've got an awesome show lined up for you. Always breaking barriers on this show. You know what I said, we're like United Nations but better. So in a moment, we're going to be joined by Winnie Siu Lalaval Dunn. She is a writer and general manager of the Sweatshop Collective, a Western Sydney literacy movement. And a couple of days ago, she launched Sweatshop Women Volume 1 at the Sydney Writers Festival. And it's an anthology solely put together by First Nations women and women of colour. So we'll be discussing Winnie's contribution to the novel as a Tongan Australian, as well as the excellence and empowerment that occurs when we have people of colour write and collaborate together. So we're really stoked to have her on the show with us later today. But first, we had the absolute pleasure of catching up with Nana Kwame Ajabrenya. He is the author and the author of the award-winning short story Friday Black. And Nana Kwame opens the book with a quote from Kendrick Lamar, anything you imagine you possess. So we're going to take a listen to that now as to why this quote was so important to him. Especially if you're a writer, creative, or like, you know, in my sort of lane, you always have your power, kind of. And I think that's important because I think I came to writing and so much of my attitude towards, I don't know, quote-unquote success or whatever was really tied to material and like you know trying to be not poor anymore Mm -hmm. basically and I liked to start with that to sort of remind myself like you know I have the thing that's important and that's kind of and it kind of can't be taken away and also you know um this is what this is how I make things this is how I sort of create um through my imagination and also and anyone can too and so you know it's kind of a reminder for myself and for for uh, whoever might read the book that you know you have a lot of power just in your ability to sort of create reality by imagining whatever you want and i think you know for me uh, especially like sort of in the being younger and any type of sort of housing insecurity stuff like once i realized like you know being young like they could just turn your lights off mm. and they could turn your water off yeah you know and when that when that happens you it, it changes something in how you look at the world because you sort of you know you realize it's not as sweet as you thought it was and um and part a lot of the reason i came to writing was it is free and you know um they kind of can't take it away from you actually and that's that was i think more than anything that was very that was that was like sort of initially what I really loved and like, because I had something that was mine and I can even if I I can always have a yellow pad I can the library's free mm. and so um it was it was huge for me and 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 especially as you get older you do realize sort of the 
the white the white hetero white patriarchy that's around us and, and it's like it's hard you know so yeah. you, and, and and how often because of the body you might inhabit um and you know the things that might not be allowed to you you know Friday Black by Nana Kwame Ajabrenya is available in all good bookstores and we highly recommend it. And our full chat will be released as a podcast this Wednesday. So you can subscribe to Race Matters on iTunes or your favourite podcast providers to have it delivered straight to you on the day. So don't miss that. So Nana Kwame was in town for the Sydney Writers Festival, which just wrapped up yesterday. But right now we are joined with someone else who spoke at the festival over the weekend. Winnie, see you, Lolo Val. Dunn is a Tongan writer and community arts worker from Mount Druid here in Sydney. You may have heard of Sweatshop, which is the Western Sydney literacy movement. And a couple of months ago, we were joined on Race Matters as well by another member of Sweatshop, which is Tyree Barnett. But if you're not familiar with it, it's a collective of culturally and linguistically diverse arts practitioners and award-winning authors. So Winnie, welcome to Race Matters. We're so excited to have you here. Hey, Malolele. Thanks for having me. So you've recently been integral in putting together a collaborative of anthology series that was launched a few days ago at the Sydney Writers' Festival. Congratulations, it's a huge deal. No, thanks so much. Um, How was that experience of producing such a book with so many women of colour? It was a really kind of uh, humbling and courageous uh, experience for me. Uh, In Sweatshop Women Volume 1, which is available on the Sweatshop website at sweatshop.ws. It was it was really humbling because there's 22 contributors from First Nations uh, and, and people of colour communities. And so I think there was a real need um, ever since the Me Too movement, which was started by civil rights activist Tarana Burke uh, in America back in 2006. I think there was a real need for uh, First Nations women, uh, black women and women of colour uh, to come to voice, um, as Bell Hook says. Um, and so... The collective really grew um, and, and was huge from day one. And so I, I learned a lot about what it means to stand in solidarity with women of colour. Basically, I worked with uh, 22 women from uh, Indigenous and culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds who wanted to be able to have their own voice and tell their own story. Uh, but in a sense of being a Tongan Australian editor, it's it's very rare um, to have a Pacifica um, who has um, the privilege to be able to edit uh, work and, and read work critically and to be able to um, assist others in their writing career. Um, but I, as uh, in saying that, I think uh, it was I was really impassioned to be able to help, um, you know, marginalised women to tell their own stories because um, as a Tongan Australian, the person who keeps telling my story is Chris Lilly, who's a white guy in, in brown face who puts on an afro and enacts these really racist and violent and sexist stereotypes about um, my... Uh, community and especially the men in my community uh, and so coming from that background it's it's definitely was at the for- forefront of my mind that um, being able to um, help women like me to come to voice uh, and to use uh, literature as a tool of empowerment um, was really incredible. Yeah because so many people of colour have our stories and our words constantly censored to kind of fit a narrative that's more palatable for white people mm-hmm. so to have your voice on top of that for all of those women it must have been a very calming experience for them as well to collaborate with you yeah i mean i don't want to speak on behalf of the collective but i think um what we did achieve was a really safe and Mm. critical space uh, for women of color to be able to tell their own stories um and speak their own truths away from the um white um gaze and what bell hooks calls um imperialist, white supremacist, capitalist patriarchy. And so to to be able to kind of move away from that gaze a little bit, um, not that um, 
anybody. Um, we all come with our different advantages and disadvantages, but to be able to come together in, in a safer space um, that allowed us to all um, tell our own stories um, is really empowering. To be in a space that is so heavily empowered by people of colour, especially women of colour, have you noticed how the writing and the narratives might flourish compared to if you're in a space where you might be the only person of colour in the room? Um I, get, I wish somebody was here from the collective, but again, um, if I'm speaking on my my own experience um, as a writer, definitely um, it help. It, it's really empowering to have um, Sweatshop involved uh, because um, Sweatshop is a um, is a literacy movement based in Western Sydney for um, First Nations and culturally and linguistically diverse writers uh, to be able to think critically. Um, about their work um, and to be able to create original contributions to knowledge. And so that's really, I think, um, at the forefront of what it means for people of colour to tell their own stories. Yeah, because spaces like this don't, they're not everywhere for us as well. And in a space like Western Sydney that is so heavily diverse, Mm -hmm. you know, the community and the people of colour in that community are so strong and everyone collaborates together so strongly, it's really imperative for those people to have a space that they can access that way and have their story shared. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, reflecting on my time uh, before joining the Switch Up Collective, um, which is three years ago now, but um, I was the first person in my family to go to university and, and to a- obtain a tertiary education. And so um, that level of, of privilege really kind of distanced myself uh, from my own family in some way, but also brought me closer to them because um, I wanted to be able to kind of shift from a lot of the um, stereotypes and disempowerment that's placed on our communities. But it was very hard um, as a mixed race, third generation um, Tongan woman to um, be at university and to kind of feel like I was the only one of the few people of colour in the room, even though I went to Western Sydney University, which was supposed to be a very diverse student body. But I did a Bachelor of Arts, so, yeah, you know. <laughs> I think that's pretty common amongst most of those institutions <laughs> with the arts. Before we go into your song, I also want you mentioned as well in an article that you did with Sydney Morning Herald how, you know, you were told that your success will come when you leave Western Sydney, mm. when you leave Mount Druitt. And to have something like Sweatshop Collective now, does that make you want to, like, really fight against those kinds of statements too, that in order to succeed you have to leave home, you have to leave your roots? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, thinking again on um, Bell Hooks, um, who is an African-American um, feminist scholar and... Um, social activists, thinking of the intersections between um, imperialist, white supremacist, capitalist patriarchy, um, it is really important for me um, to understand where I sit in those intersections and to understand that um, I am, even though it is, it, it's hard to kind of grow up in Mount Druitt, that Mount Druitt's still a really beautiful, vibrant and story-filled place, even though it can be a kind of very violent and isolating um, place as well. Um, and that people people of colour who, um, despite being from social, low socioeconomic backgrounds, we can still come together and, and be creative in our own way and create our own pathways. And again, that means, um, as Bell Hook says, the act of coming to a voice, which is moving um, from margin to centre and to centre, um, for me as a writer and as an editor, to centre the narratives that have been um, displaced or marginalised. 100%, 100%. So you picked a song for us, Fix It by Dina Jane. Can you tell us why you picked that song? 
I picked it because uh, Dina Jane is a Tongan American uh, singer and artist, and she was part of uh, Fifth Harmony, and so she's kind of one of the first kind of uh, Pacifica women to kind of make it in mainstream music scene. So I'm kind of really proud um, of her and her music. <laughs> I'm trying my best to let this come fray, but I know it's gonna hurt you even if I try. Here I go, I'm over faking everything's alright. You know, you know, yeah There's no room for me in this home So I go, tell myself cause it's all I know How's it feel for you to finally know You know, you know listening to Race Matters. I'm Sara Khan and I am joined today in the studio with the deadly Winnie Dunn. We have so much problematic content that's going around and getting produced and it's always happening when people of colour are not given that opportunity. Like we always have to self-determine and create those opportunities ourselves. And is there more pressure do you think for us to have to constantly produce so that we don't have more Chris Lilly's getting Netflix approved series? 
Um, yeah, I think, um, you know, there was this uh, phrase that kept coming up at the Sydney Writers' Festival last week um, that really resonated with me called the burden of representation. And so as a Tongan Australian writer, I do feel a lot of burden uh, because um, the general, the kind of more general uh, Pacifica Australian community is very much underrepresented to the point where there's kind of no mainstream um, authors of 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 Pacifica descent who who are published um, in this country. And then again, like the only voice we have to kind of tell our stories at the moment, and this is 10 years on from Summer Heights High, uh, is Chris Lilly. So that burden of representation, I think, is really real. And so I do feel a constant need to keep producing on some level, uh, because if I stop, then it kind of gives a lot more platform to people like Chris Lilly, and even Chris Lilly himself, because he has a new Netflix show, (laughs) apparently. Um, So... Yeah. Yeah. And it's really like, it's such a heavy responsibility to have as well because of the challenges you're facing. Like, people don't understand that when you have content like what gets produced by Chris Lilly, is that you have a standard that's being set about how people think and view people of colour and our mm. stories and our lived experiences. And so it's a, it's a massive challenge to have to confront as well. Yeah, well, that's why I really kind of... I, that's why I think Sweatshop Western Sydney Literacy Movement is really empowering because it teaches marginalised members um, of our community that creative and scholarly writing is a skill in which addition to, like, kind of natural creative abilities requires education, research and training, you know. So even though there's that burden of representation, we still kind of as marginalised people of colour strive for excellence. And so, like, for example, Sweatshop trains diverse writers to blend their multiple languages together, develop complex figurative and metaphorical language and develop a sophisticated understanding of tense, rhythm, perspective, narrative structure and detailed description. And most importantly, you know, Sweatshop is about empowering marginalised community to take pride in their identities uh, and to value their experiences and and to showcase the realities um, of what it means um, to come from a marginalised background, um, especially if you're um, First Nations or culturally and linguistically diverse. And so, yeah, I think even though there's that burden of representation that I feel, that um, striving for excellence and that um, coming from margin to centre, um, as we spoke about bell hooks earlier, uh, is, is, I think, really important for... Um, navigating um, the the kind of pressure um, of representing yourself and people in your community. It's so empowering as well to have your voice be taken so seriously mm. like that as well, where it's that constant strive for excellence and to understand the different and diverse um, structures of storytelling that there are and how you can, you know, manage that and how you can pull it apart and string it back together based on your own knowledges too and Mm. you said recently too that when you first read your stuff out um the um head of sweatshop the co-founder of it he had said to you like you know it's not great but we can work on it (laughs) and i thought that was really excellent because it was like yeah like this is like serious feedback right now Mm -hmm. instead of like an empty pat on the back and applause just because you're a person of color sharing a story well, absolutely. And I think it's the uh, dominant uh, group at the moment who take up a lot of space, which is uh, white people. They do give those empty pat on the backs and, mm. and they do give those empty compliments because um, they don't think that our First Nations people and people of colour can strive for excellence mm. or, in fact, be excellent. Um, and so that's what's really empowering about Sweatshop is we, we learn all those structures, we learn all those tools, um, and we're very, very serious about... Um, 
literature as an original mm. contribution to knowledge and and we believe that it's it's first nations and people of color who who can and are able to do that work and need to do that work because um we have the most kind of original stories to tell because they have been so silenced and so pushed to the side uh, for so long yeah and i've also found recently that when it comes to just discussing topics that make you know people of colour, white people, uneasy, mm. um, the more I seem to enjoy doing it. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, do you feel as well that, like, when tackling narratives that make people uncomfortable, especially when it comes to race, do you find it easier to enter those kind of discomfort, discomfort zones the more you write about them? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think Sweatshop Women, Volume 1, the the anthology, um, the most recent anthology of Sweatshop is a testament to that. Um, I think it does make um, white people uncomfortable to see a book that's entirely produced um, and entirely written by women of colour. Um, and I and I think that they're, they're uncomfortable with that shift. And, you know, I was interviewing at the Sydney Writers' Festival earlier um, Elaine Castillo, who's a Filipinx american author. And basically before Question Time, I had put out kind of a white fragility statement. I was like, look, obviously uh, me and Elaine are two women of colour. Um, we've obviously spoken about um, the the damages of, of uh colonization and white supremacy and so if you as a white person in this audience feel uncomfortable uh, really take a deep breath and really think about your question before you answer it because if you're uncomfortable I don't want to hear it and then as soon as I said that kind of 10 white people got up and they just walked out <laughs> which is fine like me and Elaine were cheering we were just like yeah good riddance like, yeah. <laughs> um, and on so, your bike yeah and so I think um, that that level of of making white people uncomfortable is is long overdue, and I think that's why Sweatshop Women Volume One is so popular because it that white people need to sit with with their discomfort and and they need to understand that they need to step aside. In terms of my own writing, I'm I'm definitely kind of working in the genre of autobiographical fiction, which is basically I want to tell stories that are based on my life but in a fictional way um, because I think there's such a rich um, kind of story involved uh, of what it means to be a third-generation mixed-race uh, Tongan-Australian woman who, even though I'm mixed-race, didn't actually grow up with any white family members. So both of my parents are, are mixed-race uh, Tongan as well. And so I, it's that kind of complexity of living that experience and living that experience in Mount Druitt, Western Sydney in particular, and meeting the characters that I do meet uh, in kind of my everyday life, which is a lot of kind of other low socioeconomic people of colour um, who, like, you know, we just go hang out at the Starbucks or the 24-hour Kmart um, <laughs> at, at Mountie West Point. So um, those are the characters and settings um, that I want to tell. And, and to me, that's an original contribution to knowledge because who would ever see Mount Druitt Westfield or, or a Tongan uh, in, in a novel or in a piece mm-hmm. of literature? Yeah, I think that as well, the point you brought up there about being um, mixed race but growing up with no white people around you, that's such a massive story that so many other young people of colour can connect with. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a, um angle that, you know, no one really seems to take, but it's something that so many people can connect with. Yeah, and, and, and I think it's for me, I get a lot of assumptions of, uh, like, I have a lot of privileges being mixed race, don't get me wrong, but I also get a lot of assumptions that, uh, people just assume that I have one Tongan parent and one white parent. So I get a lot of questions like, oh, yeah, so, like, who's, like, is, is your mom and dad the 
Australian? And I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 no. But I mean, first of all, that that's a really weird question. And second of all, uh, the experience of being mixed race is, is a lot more complicated than that. Yeah. And that leads into our final question for today. My favourite one. When did you realise that your race made you powerful? Not until I joined Sweatshop mm. when I was about 19, 20. I am... I was very self-hating for a very long time. And so the nickname in that my family gave me was Fia Balangi, which in Tongan means wanting to be white. So there's a phenomenon um, in Tongan culture uh, where where a lot of um, Tongans are self-hating um, and, and they do aspire to even be mixed race uh, because they feel that it's a better um, and more a palatable experience, which it is, uh, but it's just kind of really unfortunate that um, a lot of uh, darker-skinned Tongans and, you know, Tongans who actually grew up in Tonga and live in Tonga uh, don't feel a sense of kind of uh, being proud of, of their race and their culture in a lot of ways. And so it wasn't until I joined Sweatshop that I um, actively started to unpack um, that self-hatred, which again comes from that um, phenomenon of what Bell Hooks calls imperialist white supremacist capitalist patriarchy, in which all those intersectional structures um, are really violent um, and can really kind of disform your way of thinking as a person of colour. And so when I joined Sweatshop, it was a very empowering and radical act because I began to understand that um, being a Tongan Australian uh, and being being able to write my own stories, having the privilege to even be able to write my own stories was an incredibly powerful thing. And so, um, yeah, uh, I guess the act of literature helped me find the power in my race. Thank you so much for joining us, Winnie. Your final song is Confidence by Clarissa May. Can you tell us why you chose this song? Well, actually, Clarissa May um, is kind of a very good friend of mine. She actually lives five minutes down the road from me at Mount Druitt. Um, and she's just a beautiful uh, mixed-race Filipinx Australian uh, singer. And, and I find her music uh, really vulnerable um, and powerful. And I think she that that's kind of the music and sound of, of Mount Druitt in a lot of ways. Maybe I come off a little rude Maybe I look kind of mean to you Maybe you're wondering if that's true But I'm really just scared of you Maybe I can look you in the eyes Maybe I look like I'm about to cry This might come to be a surprise But I'm really just scared of you
Race matters. 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 Race matters.